on the pitch to Eli Drinkwitz's guys on the gridiron. Tune in weekdays from 4 to 5 on KCOU 88.1 FM. Well, if you want to survive this uh, this wintry mix that we got on, that we got going on right now, you're gonna need a lot more than an umbrella. But we hope you can find some warmth and solace in the season four premiere of Mixed Doubles right here on KCOU 88.1 FM. My name is Blaze Fields. I'm joined as always with my co-host Abigail Klapatowskis. Abigail. It's been a long time since we've been on the air together. How you feeling? I am so thrilled to be back with Blaze. Warmth and solace. What encouraging affirmations to attribute to our Mixed Doubles episode. I, know, I was kind of in my Robert Frost bag for this one. <laughs> um, but We are going to cover a whirlwind of sports today, listeners. Yeah. So whether you are a fan of professional women's hockey, the NBA, college basketball, NFL, stay listening because we are going to get to it all. This is... We really are putting the variety in a variety sports show today. Yeah, no, we we definitely, uh, you know, we've been known to have episodes where we take a deep dive into a certain topic, but this is definitely, we're throwing... This is ev- not one of those episodes. You're getting everything and the kitchen sink with this one, so we're just going to, I think we should just get right into it. I so, think so, too. First and foremost, it's kind of a, uh, a funeral hour for me here as I'm saying goodbye to one of my dearest friends in the whole wide world, and by that I mean... Former Toronto Raptors power forward Pascal Siakam, um, one of the greatest Raptors of all time. He was absolutely vital to the 2019 championship that the Raptors so rightfully won against the Golden State Warriors to end their dynasty. He combined with Kawhi Leonard for second most points in a postseason in NBA history during that span, more than Scotty and Michael Jordan ever scored in a postseason. Wow. Uh, he was a two time All Star. And, you know, for a franchise that really lacks stars a lot of like faces of the franchise pascal siakam was the face of the franchise during a time of great instability after Kawhi leonard left so it's a a great sadness for many raptors fans but i guess to uh to summarize um it was a big trade uh the raptors got bruce brown a couple players and three first round picks i think it's decently solid for what the raptors are trying to do it's kind of been painfully obvious as a Raptors fan that this team has been stagnating ever since last year's disaster in the play-in tournament where they did not make it out of the play-in tournament. And they kind of just need to tear it down and start over. With the OG trade, I feel like they were able to get younger by bringing in Emmanuel quickly and R.J. Barrett. And here they were able to get draft capital. Um, these are two first-round picks that are going to occur during this draft. So that's like an immediate spark plug. And the Raptors have shown to be really solid with drafting and development. I mean, pretty much all of their stars have came from drafting guys and turning them into you know, successful turnaround stories. I mean, Pascal Siakam was a G League player, a notable G League player for a couple years before he made it up to the, the big league squad. As for the Pacers, I like this trade. I don't know how much it moves the needle. Siakam's a great player, but when it comes to the East, I feel like there's a clear-cut top four with you know Cleveland, Philadelphia, Boston, Milwaukee, and I just don't see how Siakam and Halliburton as a duo stack up against Maxi and Embiid or Dame and Giannis or the Celtics, who have a lot of depth in a lot of places. So it's a lot of future kind of gone on just being, in my opinion, the ceiling of a five seed. So I don't know. Abigail, what do you think? 
I would disagree a little bit. I think right now there's a solid drop-off in scoring efficiency for the Pacers after Tyrese Halliburton and Miles Turner. Siakam's still averaging 22 points a game. That would put him at the second leading scorer. I think it gives them some scoring efficiency that they don't necessarily have, and that can help them kind of compete against the Cleveland Cavaliers-type roster who has a top shooting guard in Darius Garland. I think this puts them on a top trajectory towards the top five in the East. They are going to be a solid, fundamental veteran team with Tyrese Halliburton being a younger spark in their scoring. Okay. I think it gives them some validity where right now they're just kind of getting some name recognition in the Pacers offense. It's like, oh yeah, they've got Tyrese Halliburton. I've heard he's young and a good shooter. This puts some name brand potential into this program, which is right now a little bit more important than projecting for the future. This is a proven winner who is a strong shooter and still playing really well despite his age. I think that helps their brand right now than more so than just giving away those draft picks. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I I guess... I don't I, see it. I guess all that to say, is it like the best trade ever? No, but I don't think there's much downside to this for the Pacers. I guess that's fair. I think the big thing for me is thinking about other players who have gone for like three first round picks and Pascal yeah. Siakam is kind of like borderline all-star, whereas I don't know if another guy would have forced out kind of like, I, I don't know, like like James Harden whenever he uh, forced his way out of yet another team. A yeah. couple a couple weeks back, like the, I feel like that would have been a trade where it's like, okay, let's get all of our like, let's win now. Yeah, let's win this now. Isn't but a win now, but, this is a let's continue to play well. Yeah, but at the same time, they've got a lot of young players who I think um, they were pretty lucky in not giving any of them up. Um, yeah, guys like Benedict Mathurin, and um, I think uh, uh, yeah, there's a couple. Uh, Obi Toppin is another guy as well who I think the Raptors were trying to target, but the Pacers said. No way, Jose. But anyway, <laughs> moving on to uh, some more also Canadian news, kind of Canada-related. Uh, the PWHL has played their first games of their inaugural season, bringing a new era to women's hockey. Abigail. I am really, really excited about this. Shout out to Lily Gleason. She explained the PWHL to me over winter break and really kind of introduced me to this entire league, and since then has been popping up all over my Twitter. And similar to the WNBA and the NWSL, which have been both established for several years now, really emerging onto the scene of giving validity to professional women's sports and giving a bridge between collegiate athletics and Olympic sports, allowing them to play in their home countries and prepare in those Olympic off-seasons, just like every other men's sport. So this is really exciting. The league was founded by Mark Walter, the owner of the uh, Dodgers, Billie Jean King herself, and the PWHPA, the Pro Women's Hockey Player Association, looking for a way to bring financial stability and professional stability to women's hockey. Something that I was really impressed by in the creation of this league was that stability came from the players and the founders refusing to settle. This league has been kind of the brainchild of a few other failed leagues that players criticized and didn't join because they weren't truly professional. They weren't going to fully compensate the players. They weren't going to be full-fledged leagues. They were kind of steps in the right direction, but I appreciate the patience of these players saying, no, we're waiting until we get this right. It's worth getting this right. One aspect um, 
I really respect from the league's creation is the literal seat at the negotiating table that they reserved for professional Olympians whose careers are affected by the decisions being made in this league's creation. Sarah Nurse, who's a Canadian Olympian, and Kendall Coyne Schofield, who's an American playing for the Minnesota team, helped to deliver the league's collective bargaining agreement. And I think that's so cool because we hear about that all the time. Like, where were the players in this decision? Why didn't yeah. we have players involved? They were at a, involved at the very ground level of this creation. And since, and we'll get into this a little bit, there have been criticized a little bit, the league as a whole. They've ran into some hiccups. It's okay. It's a brand new league. The NWSL is running into hiccups every time they try to expand. The NFL, for that matter, is still running into hiccups. I appreciate how they still... They let women sit at this table who are going to be affected by this decision. But then at some point, they didn't sacrifice progress for the sake of perfection. They said, you know what? We need this league now. We needed this league five years ago. Let's get it started, and we can work on the hiccups as they evolve. Yeah, and I I like how you mentioned the NWSL and the WNBA because I feel like they've kind of created a blueprint to show that women's sports are sustainable and have given people like Mark Walter and Billie Jean King kind of like like the oh like this is a sustainable thing like we can create infrastructure for women's sports and it not be just like you know and there's return on investment yeah yeah they're is. selling out these crowds in these stadiums i yeah i mean you mentioned it um the opener nyc versus toronto scored more canadian viewers than the nhl winter classic which wow. is insane it broke the record for most attended women hockey game twice i mean we're 2 weeks and 2 or 3 weeks into this league and it's already done that twice with the Minnesota versus Montreal game, which scored 13,000 people. My thing is if spring football can do it, women's hockey especially can, especially with with, with Canada's backing in terms of survival. Uh, my question is, what is the most surprising thing from the PWHL that you've seen so far? From a marketing perspective, I thought it was really interesting that none of the teams have any mascots or team branding yet. Right now, all their jerseys just have the name of the um, city on them. And at first, I was a little bit shocked by this. But then the more research I did, I'm actually really impressed by this decision. According to the PWHL marketing head, Amy Amy Shear, it's mostly because of the time crunch. So Mm -hmm. kind of the timeline of this, the NHL and the other bodies involved with creating the PWHL, including those investors we spoke about, announced the creation in June 2023 with an estimated puck drop only six months later in January 2024. That's six months to find coaches, fill rosters, secure sponsors, and design jerseys. Like, designing jerseys falls so low on that priority list. And it might seem kind of trivial, but branding takes time. You want to create stories. You want to create imagery that's meaningful for these communities that really fit with each team's individual brand and their culture. And in this era of just immediate social media posts and content, constant content creation, I really commend their patience to wait and create something meaningful that perhaps the fans have some buy-in. Just like how Seattle Kraken recently reimagined their brand, I would love to see kind of these emerging communities have some say in the brands of each NWHL, uh, or excuse me. PWHL brand and mascot. Because you know I love mascots. Yeah. So yeah. they're not there yet, but they're coming. I mean, hey, the Commanders took like two years and it still is like, ew, yeah. the Washington <laughs> Commanders. And that's what they're trying to avoid. And I appreciate the patience in that. Yeah. Speaking of the Washington Commanders, there's been a little bit of beef going on between two former members of that organization. I said, 
While Netflix's 2023 show Beef may have been one of its most watched, this Twitter beef might be one of the most watched on all time, and it's between RG3, Robert Griffin III, and Jay Gruden, his former head coach. It all started kind of innocently. Um, it was just a, a an observation that Jay Gruden made about Jalen Hurts uh, getting absolutely... Uh, can absolutely sandwich by the uh, no protection. Yeah, by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he said, "If I ever put a QB through what Philly is putting Jalen through, I apologize. Pick up a blitz." To which RG3 said, "Say what?" With a reaction image of himself, which is really funny in my <laughs> opinion. And then he responded with another reaction, saying, "After after uh, Gruden said, did you prepare?" And RG3 said, you told me you didn't know how to coach a QB who could run and throw like me, so it looks like you weren't prepared, Jay. With to- another image of himself. <laughs> <laughs> to which Jay Gruden was like, hey, you're right. We didn't have a good enough staff. Sorry. Hope all is well with you. It and really could have ended there. We could have been done. It could have ended there, but RG3 had this to say during a podcast. Um, if Jay Gruden really wants to talk, I'm not going to cuss the man out. I'm not going to call him outside of his name, but what I am going to do is tell you guys the truth. And the truth of the matter is, there was a moment in D.C. that is vividly remembered. Jay Gruden went to a press conference, and he undressed me at that press conference in a way that a coach should never undress his starting quarterback. It was after a game, and I said in the press conference that the best players in the NFL have the guys around them play at an extremely high level no one is out there doing it on their own now the the media pundits and everyone took that and said rg3 threw his teammates under the bus and i had to eat that for a long time because jay didn't back me in the media the next day he doubled down on it uh and and actually picked me apart in the media so he's essentially saying that jay gruden kind of threw him under the bus and he goes on to talk about how you know, Jay Gruden actually like told him to motivate his teammates through the press, and then you know drove the bus over him after he did that. And Jay Gruden's response was, "Go race a pigeon." With the video of him of RG three racing a pigeon during a Monday Night Football countdown segment. Um, so this is like this is deep. Go uh, race a pigeon. Can we just analyze that <laughs> one sentence for a moment? How iconic. That is that is Can't incredibly even tell iconic. If that's actually an insult, it's it kind of a weird thing to say out loud. It is a it that's is one a of weird those thing things to say. That we talk about internet bullies and people saying things on their phones that they would never say in person, which is so true, and people need to get a backbone and stop being cruel. But then there are sentences like that. Go mm-hmm. race a pigeon. I would never text that, nor would I say that loud, because on its face, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And, then he, and by the way, <laughs> RG3 in the video beats the pigeon, so I'm not sure what the retort really is. Yeah, I see, I don't know. I feel like that's just old man kind of yelling at cloud <laughs> moment. Like, that's pretty That's pretty awesome that he raced a pigeon. Um, what are... My thoughts are that they both left Washington with their careers in shambles, so bringing this up after Washington has gone through two name changes since this incident is kind of hilarious, but also kind of sad. I think Jay Gruden was just an okay coach. You know, his brother was kind of, you know, the one who is the iconic Gruden, infamous Gruden, whatever you want to say. And RG3 was just not the same guy he was pre-injury. So I think this is just a case of hurt egos. But I don't know. What do you think? I had to Google who Jay Gruden was. Oh, my God. So that tells you my response. I mean, he's. He, I knew he was a coach, but I wasn't immediately familiar with their relationship. Yeah. I have seen RG3 a lot more on my Twitter feed in the last 
two years than I've heard of Jay Gruden. And I appreciate the brand RG3 is bringing to college football and his commentating. He's hilarious and he's bringing some energy and relatability. Now, whether or not this was really stupid to another level, I'm like, RG3, really? But let's be honest, this feud is good news for both guys because they're both getting name recognition and Yahoo Sports News stories written about them when (laughs) before this, Jay Gruden was kind of a thing of the past. Yeah, I, I don't know what Jay Gruden's probably sitting on his couch right now. Apparently he has a podcast and he's going to be responding Ooh. to this tomorrow. So like if anything good comes out, we'll play the clip next week. Yeah, so we'll see. The continuation of Jay Gruden versus RG3, but uh the fight you didn't know that was going to break out in 2024. The biggest fight of 2024 so I hope far. so. I hope, I hope it is, is. As far as the Twitter feuds go. Yeah. Because this is wholesome fun, mostly. Yeah, for the most part. Go race a pigeon. Go race a pigeon. I don't know. They'll come out with some like merchandise off this or something. <laughs> um, so, Abigail, you have a question for the class before we, uh, before we go to break here. Yeah. So, I don't know if you know, but the Packers are in the playoffs. Oh, brother. And it's very exciting. <laughs> and... It's kind of feeling like the 2010 season when they also entered the playoff as the lowest seed, made their way all the way to the Super Bowl and beat the Steelers. That Super Bowl took place in 2011, February 2011. Okay. My question to you is, what was the top song on the Billboard 2011 end of year Hot 100 chart? In 2011? Yep. If you can guess right now without me giving you the artist, you get two points. Or excuse me, we're going to go to break. When we come back, you'll okay. get two points if you guess it correctly without knowing the artist. If not, you'll get one point once I give you the artist's name. All right. Well, let's not dilly-dally. Let's uh, let's get to break here. We'll be right back with the answer to that and some NFL divisional talk. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Not the kid, the grown-up. You know what I am? I'm your allergy medicine, your vitamins, maybe even your cough syrup. Each year, thousands of kids get sick. Some even die. Because I'm used the wrong way. Kids get confused and think I'm candy. Now you know what I am? I'm your worst nightmare. For free info, log on to SaveKids.org. Protect your kids from accidental poisoning. Playing the old... And the new... Beautiful morning... We're at KCAU FM Columbia. Hey, this is Brian and Mikey and Pat from Weezer. And you're listening to KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia. Columbia. All right, welcome back to Mixed Doubles on KCOU 88.1 FM. And just like our music game, choosing uh, stuff to come out of breaks, the NFL Divisional Round is also heating up just a little bit. But before we get into that, I think I've got my answer for this. The top song in 2011, give me... Ooh, give me... Mm, this this is this is really this is really hard. Is it Rihanna? No. Oh, oh no. Um, just yeah. Who was it? It's Adele. Does that help? Oh, is it Rolling in the Deep? Yes. Oh my god! Congratulations. Gosh. Which beat out Party Rock Anthem, 
fireworks from Katy Perry. <laughs> Give me everything from Pitbull and Grenade. We had some. Oh, those are some. Those are some bangers. Are you kidding me? That was a good year. That was a great year for music. It was, and a great year for the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. What was the? I wonder what the top song for 2023 was. Good question. I don't know. Well, we'll figure it out later. The world may never know. The world may never know. But you know what we will know on Saturday is who will be advancing to the AFC Championship round. The first game, Texas versus Ravens. A little afternoon start time. The biggest storyline, Abigail, what is the biggest storyline for you? Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Mahomes has more Super Bowl titles, two, than Jackson has playoff wins. One. <laughs> He's one and three in the playoffs. His stats just drop off at the playoffs to only 13 points per game and four touchdowns to seven turnovers. You know what, though? None of that matters. The okay. last playoff game he played was in 2021 versus the Titans. Okay. He's been injured since. He's a different player. He's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. If I'm concerned about anything related to Lamar Jackson, it's his three-week hiatus. But yep. even that, not considerably so. He looks great. He yep. is the most consistent quarterback all season. His ability to pass under high-pressure situations and completely evade defenses. And I'm not talking a two-yard scramble. Like, 10 or 12, he is so stealth-like when he scrambles. Mark Andrews is 28 years old and still averaging 11 yards a reception. He's going to have veteran experience. You balance that with Zay Flowers' young fire. That offense is electric, and they are going to look great. And I'm not concerned about Lamar Jackson. This is his opportunity to cement himself as not just a regular season MVP quarterback, but a playoff-hardened quarterback. To me, this is the least interesting game of the bunch, yeah. which is kind of saying something because... Or it isn't paying much because there's a lot of interesting games. But I feel like the Texans are one of the few teams that has offensive weapons that don't completely blow the Ravens out of the water. You know, I would almost, almost rather have Zay Flowers, Odo Beckham, and Mark Andrews than Tank Dell, Nico Collins, and Dalton Schultz. Yeah. But I think the real story is the defense. Because Kyle Hamilton is one of the best safeties in the league. He allows a passer rating of 38 when he is targeted. And Marlon Humphrey has stats that is very close, but he is sadly out for this game. So... Boo that if you're a Ravens fan. Um, But they still have guys like Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen, two insane linebackers. And I think this is just going to be Stroud's toughest challenge yet. I I just don't think it's his time, especially against a defense that that has made mincemeat of teams like the 49ers and the Miami Dolphins. Abigail, what is your prediction for this game? Yeah, the Texans just don't have enough star talent. Uh, In their wild card game, they only had one receiver who had more than one reception. The rest of their guys had some crazy long downfield passes, but that's not going to happen against the Ravens secondary. Singletary looks great, but they're going to be well scouted against him. Uh, It's just not going to be enough. Yeah. Do you think this will be a blowout? I think it'll be maybe not a blowout, but it'll be like a more than two possession game, I think. Yeah. Give me 17 plus. Give me me like 14, probably. But uh, moving on to the next Saturday game, it's Packers versus Niners. Abigail, I got a question. Who's the better quarterback? Is it is it Packers QB Jordan Love or former oh, Iowa State quarterback Brock Purdy, huh? Like who like who's the guy? You did me so dirty with that question. <laughs> it's like making you pick your favorite children. Yeah. Love has done really well this season with the youngest roster in the NFL. Purdy has done well with some veteran stars. So those are their main differences. I think on their ability to command offenses, Jordan Love gets the upper hand because he doesn't have CMC. He has a lot of young guys who are learning how to catch the football. Yeah, Both are young and talented. They play a different style of ball. 
uh, qualities that I appreciate from both. They both listen and trust their coaches, and they continue to use the same plays, and they don't call, pull crazy audibles, which I love. Uh, they can both scramble somewhat responsibly. They both seem pretty calm under pressure. Their stats are nearly identical. Love has 32 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, and 30 sacks. Purdy has 31 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, and 28 sacks. They yeah. look very nearly identical. I think Jordan Love, for me, gets the upper hand because there was so much doubt cast on him. Well, I don't know. I mean, you're talking him versus Mr. Irrelevant, so there was a lot of doubt for Purdy as well. <laughs> it's it's kind of an underdog story for both. I yeah. feel like, to me, this is the most interesting quarterback matchup because this is two quarterbacks with very little playoff experience. I will say Jordan Love's roster has looked different game to game. Like It was not True. until we played the Cowboys last game that we they Packers finally had a fully strengthened offensive team with Watson, with Reed back, with Aaron Jones fully healthy and completely running. I mean, they, their roster has fluctuated from game to game. And yeah, he's which... had to find ways to win against a lot of different opponents with a fluctuating roster. Purdy's has remained a little more consistent. Maybe I give Love the other... I mean, I'm going to cheer for Jordan Love, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I give him the upper hand. But I thought that was a really interesting question because I think on paper they look very similar. I think I kind of agree with that. I kind of, I think though the whole like fluctuating roster almost plays towards Jordan Love's favor just because now you True. know a guy like Dontavian Wicks can catch insane touchdown yeah. passes. Like oh, you Dontavian know, Wicks is so cool to watch. Yeah, and like you Musgrave know, yeah, finally caught a ball, which was great. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Well, and like you've also got guys like, um, oh my gosh, your guys' third string running back was even, you know, making a couple plays. Taylor, too. yeah, yeah. Like, I, I kind of feel like this Packers offense, because of its injuries, has kind of like become more well-rounded mm-hmm. in a way, which is kind of crazy. It's like a starfish when you cut off one of their limbs and they just regenerate. Uh huh. We are multiplying. Wow, this is crazy. Crazy comparisons here. We went to an aquarium over winter break and got to see starfish. Oh, okay. This makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> okay. I didn't just pull that out of nowhere. I will say this. I think I'm going to go with Brock Purdy here. That's fair. Because Purdy has been solid all year and maybe has three bad games throughout his entire career. Love has looked shaky, and until his insane run to the postseason, he looked very pedestrian. <laughs> and not to mention, his opponents during the eight-game span were... The Giants, the Bears, the Panthers, the Buccaneers, the Chargers. Teams that all... Packers beat the Chiefs. Packers did beat the Chiefs. With I, Jordan Love. With Jordan Love. The Lions are in the playoffs. Yeah, but the... Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> you're, you're poking holes in my argument here. But I will say this. The Chiefs the Chiefs game... You know... Um, what was that? Wasn't that what the... Was okay, that? okay. The excuse? Wasn't, wasn't, that the, wasn't that the pass interference game? I mean, if you want to minimize it to that, sure. But you know, the, the Chiefs. Wasn't the game could, where Jordan Love went on the road and beat the Chiefs? Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. Wasn't that at Lambeau though? Oh, maybe it was. Was it? I think I think it was. Oh, okay. My because bad, I because I thought to myself, why isn't Abigail going to this game? And I was like, oh, it's in Wisconsin. But <laughs> look, I think in my opinion, Jordan Love You're is so a right. is a fun story. I think he's on the verge of blossoming, but I just don't think he has enough for a Niners offense or a Niners defense, sorry, that is a terror against every quarterback it faces except for Lamar Jackson for some reason. Yeah. So I think that Jordan Love is playing at a disadvantage here, but I think I think that's I, what it's going to come down to, like, game-wise. I agree. 
I worry about saying this out loud because I don't want to jinx it. I think at worst, in a high-pressure situation in the playoff, Jordan Love gets sacked. Mm-hmm. I think at worst, in a high-pressure situation in the playoff, Brock Purdy throws a really ill-advised interception. His decision-making is, it is. wavering sometimes. It is. Where Jordan Love's decision-making looks pretty solid because he trusts LaFleur, but his pass looks strange sometimes. Sometimes those passes just loft and float up in the air, but I think that's just his style. It's yeah. growing on me because they always land in the receiver's hands. I, I'm i not going to pick because clearly I'm going <laughs> for the Packers, but I'm just, I don't think they... I don't think they should beat the 49ers, but okay. I think they have the kind of team and talent and excitement that could. Okay, interesting. I like that take. Moving um, on to the other NFC North team that's also making some noise. We've got the Buccaneers versus the Lions. You wrote the question, who has the better story, Detroit or Tampa? I feel like this one's kind of obvious. I mean, Detroit. Dan Campbell is the personality and the grit. Do you know how many times I heard the word grit? The other name. <laughs> I think that's like their word of the year. You know, he you gotta... is the walking embodiment of the 30-plus years of spirit at Detroit. He said in his post-game press conference speech, it's everything you dream of and more, and I believed him when he said it. Yeah. The Detroit Lions have never won a Super Bowl. The Bills and Texans have also never won a Super Bowl, so the whole season is interesting. I mean, eh, the Lions go to the Chiefs, but... looked like the final scene out of Rudy when they beat the Rams. Okay. They are like the storybook ending. I don't think it's going to end up in a Super Bowl win for them, but they're definitely making it fun. Yeah, no, they definitely are. You know, it's the Dan Campbell, we're going to get back up, we're going to bite off a kneecap <laughs> kind of thing. They've overcome so many demons, though, on the way here. They were a three-win team two seasons ago, and yet they stayed true to their outcast quarterback who people were begging to get rid of and their head coach that people were like, ah, he's just a quote machine, he doesn't actually do anything. They made controversial selections. They selected Jameer Gibbs, a a pick that was like lauded, and Jamison Williams who had torn his ACL and people were like, well, it's a mystery box, you never know if he's going to come back. You know what they did? They won the NFC North. They beat their old quarterback at home in the playoffs. I mean, they seem kind of like this team of, of destiny in a way. And I kind of feel like that's going to carry over into this game. I don't know how you stop this team unless you have an elite defense like San Francisco or Baltimore. They have five above average up to like generational talent wide receivers. They have the best running back room in football and they have Sam Laporta at tight end, the best rookie tight end ever, right? I don't know if it's my NFC North bias, but I mean the Packers beat them and they looked really not all that talented on thanksgiving i mean true but that was a they that was found their stride i suppose but i don't think they're a team of destiny necessarily that was like a well, the story necessarily but i just yeah. you know and then that packers game the lions did make it pretty close after jared goff fumbled the ball like yeah. three different times so i on don't the know other side of the ball i mean i think i guess i don't mean to speak for you i'm choosing the lions in this game but we have kind of a weird opponent yeah baker mayfield did have 337 yards and three touchdowns in the wild card game. Somewhat against probably, inconceivably to me. I mean, even if you're going up against the Eagles' defense, you still have to be playing pretty well to put up 337 yards. This is true, but the Eagles were on, like, nuclear meltdown mode, <laughs> so I, I don't know. I mean, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin weren't really on my playoff bingo card, but here we are. Okay. I mean, they've got Rashad. Rashad White, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't understand how they've made it to this point. Well, they're in a terrible division. They're in a terrible division. I think that's that they're, about it. they're not that good of a team, but I think they're a team that has a lot of fight and a lot of sneaky talent. Like you yeah. said, they have a really they have a 
decently talented offense. Their passing defense is absolutely terrible, um, <laughs> which is why I, I listed when we were talking about the Packers, the Buccaneers up there, because the Buccaneers have yeah. one of the worst pass defenses in all football. So I don't know. So we're both we're both sticking lines here. Yeah. This is weird. We're agreeing. Yeah. All right. Last game though, I think the cream of the crop, the cherry on top of this already impressive ice cream sundae <laughs> is the Chiefs versus the Bills. Um, you pose the question, what effect will the f- actually I'll let you ask the question. Yeah, I wrote this question so terribly. How will the fact that this is Mahomes, I still can't get this question out, but this is Mahomes' first road playoff game ever. How is that going to affect him, if at all? Well, when you're as good as Mahomes, every away game feels like a playoff game. Oh, man. And, um, you know, the Chiefs are the NFL's main attraction. So when they go to Buffalo, or they go to Lambeau, or they go to Chicago in the regular season, it's always going to feel like a playoff atmosphere, because no matter how bad your team is, you want to beat the number one team in football. Everybody hates the Chiefs. Mahomes... 38 and 11 on the road, the best mark in NFL history. I think this is just another storyline that we're just pumping out to get people excited, but I think you don't really need any other storylines for a Chiefs Bills part three. I agree, unfortunately. The only player on the Chiefs offense who may be affected by the Bills Mafia is Juwan Taylor. I don't know what the coaching is with this guy. Mm-hmm. He is second in the league in false start penalties. I basically have his number memorized because I feel like they call it all the time. Like I don't number know what seventy four. <laughs> exactly. Holding offense. I don't know what his deal is. Uh, if it's at all influenced by opponent fan sound and the twelfth man effect, he's going to struggle. But he's already struggled and he struggles at home. So, have we seen the Chiefs' offensive ceiling yet? No, no, we absolutely haven't because this team. First of all, Jarek McKinnon is out for the season, so I feel like that yeah. is a key piece of the offensive ceiling. But this is a team that I feel like lost its mojo towards the end of the regular season because the faith that Mahomes had in his wide receivers disappeared, and rightfully so. I mean, they are second in the league in drops, and your other team ahead of them is the Cowboys, and the Cowboys have Brandon Cooks and C.D. Lamb, who, <laughs> you know, if they drop the ball, who cares? They're going to catch an 80-yard touchdown. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, this is an offense that is severely lacking talent outside of Mahomes and outside of the interior offensive line and Travis Kelsey. But even Travis Kelsey's had a couple bad drops. I feel like after last game, that was a good start. You didn't really see any game-breaking plays happen from the wide receivers. Yeah. Like, we've seen it. Not even just like, okay, drops happen, whatever. But the way they drop the ball (laughs) is so iconic and game-breaking. The Kadarius Toney, foot on the offsides, the MVS running downfield with the Eagles, perfect catch, and he drops it. Like the way this stuff happens, they're getting better at being bad. Yeah, they're they're just getting better at being bad, and it's 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 disappointing to see. But I feel like after the Bengals game, where the Chiefs' offense looked better, after the Miami game, I feel like that kind of dis- that's kind of dissipated. And especially considering how close the Chiefs played the Bills whenever they were going through that offensive crisis, um, and it again came down to Kadarius Tony's big toe like I feel like it doesn't matter what their ceiling is as long as Patrick Mahomes is quarterback there's just there's always going to be a shot and I feel like the Chiefs I feel like the Chiefs they've got a better shot they have such a great defense um their defense is young and looks really talented yeah it is need Bolton McDuffie they've looked great the last team they allowed to score more than 20 points was, you guessed it, the Green Bay Packers wow. on December 3rd. Oh, uh, you know. 
Hey, if the Packers go to the Super Bowl, I'm not going to be mad about that. Oh. So I hope they go to the Super Thanks, Bowl. Thanks, Uh I can't tell if Travis Kelsey's drops are kind of his new standard. Because at first I was like, all right, he's just having a few off games. But that's been since mid-November. Here, here's like, is it a timing thing? Here's my thing is that I feel like defenses, which used to never play man-to-man against Mahomes and the Chiefs because you're yeah. liable to get burnt by Tyree Kill or Sammy Watkins or other talented wide receivers that previously existed on this team, they know that if a wide receiver gets open, it's fine because there's like a 40% chance that they drop the ball. <laughs> and I feel like this has allowed them to then double-team Travis Kelsey so he's not getting open, and when he is, I don't know, when you're not really catching he's the... wide open on some of those, though. No, yeah, but when you're not used to being wide open, it True. can be kind of scary, you know? Or, you know, he's getting older and, you know, yeah. getting used to more contact. Like, yeah, I mean, this was, this was a guy we were worried about not even playing the entire season because he had a calf injury. Pacheco looks great. Oh, Pacheco looks amazing. I feel like I feel like if Pacheco gets 20 carries this game, we win. I legitimately believe that. All right. It's a good shout. But can the Peppa Pig magic carry Josh Allen and the Bills to victory? No. No. They should have hired Bluey. They should have hired Bluey. Well, anyway, we're going to move on to one of our favorite topics, which is of course the Mizzou Tigers right after the break. Thank you guys for listening thus far, and we will see you right after the break. KCOU thanks its listeners, sponsors, and Cafe Berlin for their support of this station. Cafe Berlin offers locally sourced brunch and cocktails from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. with live music at night in downtown Columbia, unique waffle and drink specials weekly, plus a wide variety of vegan and vegetarian options. Additional information can be found at Cafe Berlin Como on Instagram. Hello, wait, let me calibrate. <laughs> I'm James. And I'm Tech. And together we're Death's, Death's Dynamic Shroud. Shroud. And you are listening to KCOU 88.1 FM, Columbia. Welcome back in. You guys uh, being treated to some Weezer on this fine afternoon. Um, man, I, I am hungry for lunch, man. I'll tell you <laughs> what, I am, I am starving. I am really hungry, too. Yeah, well, you know, I'll tell you what. The Mizzou Tigers looked pretty hungry last night against Georgia. They won 69-57, to 57, 24 points from Haley Frank, 16 points from Grace Slaughter. Abigail, um, first of all, did you watch the game? I was there, yeah. Yeah, you were there at the game. Awesome. I was sadly working away at Olive Garden. But uh, tell me, what uh, what interesting storylines came about during that game? Yeah, it was one of Grace Slaughter's best games thus far, holistically, I would say. Mama Nabele, we talked about this in Salute Your Sports, arguably the best player on their team. I say that not because of scoring. Obviously, Haley Frank leads the team in scoring. But she's finally driving toward the lane sometimes and really has this ability to disrupt defenses. When Mama Debele is putting up 
five, six rebounds a game, as well as a lot of assists, you know that she's getting close to the net. When she's getting close to the net, she is terrifying defenses. Because Maman Dembele is only controlled when you get her off the three-point line towards the mm-hmm. half court. When she, the closer she gets the net, the more disrupted the defense looks. She looked awesome. It was Mizzou scarf night. We got a scarf. Hey, kind of an interesting cool. material. It wasn't really a warm scarf, but it definitely it had a tiger on it. it had some fringe, so that some, was fun. Some style. Some style, one would say. Okay. They're on a two-game win streak, I believe, in the SEC. Yep. They look pretty good. Their other game that they won was against Vandy, who is in the top five, I believe, in the SEC for the women's rankings. They had like a 16-1 run before facing Mizzou. Yeah. The women are coming together with a lot of development from these younger players. They're Hilke coming Feldrapa to play. Hilke played a lot last night. Her confidence from game one until now has been immense. Her ability for to catch the ball and not just immediately look to pass it off and take a moment, have some patience. Even if it's that just a pivot step before passing it away, she's drawing a little more threat from the defense, which is awesome. She had a couple layups last night and the crowd went wild. You can see they're rallying around her as that freshman talent of like, okay, you got this. Like, Get some confidence. Ashton Judd, another storyline, She's gone from bricks to brilliance back to bricks this season. She only had six points last night, only marked five against LSU, but then she put up 16 and 19 respectively against South Carolina and Vanderbilt. She's kind of all over the place. Her shot did not look good last night. It looked like just kind of a dud every time it came off her hands. I'm not sure what's going on with her. She obviously entered the season as that second scorer behind Haley Frank. For their offense to really compete later in this SEC schedule, she needs to put up the numbers that she's kind of expected to. Oh, yeah. Biggest storyline that I want to talk about with you, though, is their turnovers. The Tigers continue to average 16 turnovers a game. They had 19 last night. And strangely enough, so many of these are just unforced errors coming off of weird passes. Last night, there were so many travels because of fast feet and just stepping out of bounds on the baseline. At this point in the season, how do we change this? Is this a matter of coaching discipline? Is this just an accepted part of the Missouri women's basketball brand? What can Pinchton do? What should the players do? Or is this just an inevitable part of their playmaking? I mean, it's it's kind of disappointing. And I really, really hope that it's not built into the identity yeah. of this team. Because if it's an accepted part, then, well, I don't think the Tigers will be really doing much of anything this year. And their three losses in conference play, they have given up an average of 20 points off of turnovers right yeah and that is with only giving up six points off turnovers to LSU so you can imagine how bad those stats were or uh, sorry against Alabama so you can imagine how bad those stats were against South Carolina LSU and LSU brutal I mean it's absolutely it's unsustainable every other possession, it seems like in the first quarter yeah and I mean I get it they had to run through LSU yeah. South Carolina Bama that's a that's a tough tough road but that is just absolutely insane but on the bright side I do want to go back to your point about the newcomers I think that there have been a lot of great contributions from people who we thought might not really contribute this season honestly who stands out to you I I think this this is probably gonna be a basic answer I feel like this is kind of most people's answer but great slaughter obviously I think she's been really developing quite well even after I mean she started the season off strong with that double double as a you know first Career double-double, first career game. That's crazy. But I feel like she's really started utilizing her size more 
And I feel like she's been getting better with her back to the basket and not playing as much like a guard. Yeah. You know, I feel like she kind of seems like somebody who, this might be a weird comparison. This seems like somebody who like played point guard in high school and then had like a growth spurt and is now learning how to play kind of more like a bigger game. No, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. So I, I kind of feel like that's the way she kind of plays basketball. And I feel like the, as she develops those like interior skills, she's going to be unstoppable. Yeah. She looks so good. My shout out is Abby Shrek. She's averaging about eight points a game, 41% from the three point line. Most impressive of all, she has the confidence to drive into the lane. Her head is always looking up and not to the side. She yeah. gets that pass and she drives in as her first option. That is going to dis- differentiate her from Abby Fight, who still looks a little bit outmatched the post play. Uh, Abby Shrek has got a lot of potential, and I'm excited to see where she goes from here. Missouri is currently ranked 10th of 14 teams in the SEC. Georgia is dead last, who they played last night. And Missouri is now going to face Kentucky next, who is 8-10, 1-3 in conference play. And then they come back to Columbia next week on Thursday to take on Texas A&M. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's dive into the men's basketball team here. They are second to last in the SEC ahead of the Vanderbilt Commodores, who are either pretty good in a sport or really bad. But um, I don't know. I it's uh, it's been It's been kind of tough to watch their own foreign conference play. What do you think? Yeah, I posed the question, do we believe in the concept of moral victories? Because that's kind of what this season is turning out to be. Uh, their opening SEC games have looked rough, but spirited. They've yeah. held on a lot longer against Kentucky and Georgia than I was expecting. They just don't have the fire to outlast some of these teams. They've been plagued by injuries mm-hmm. early on, but they hang along longer than I would expect. I like Shawnee's fire. That man is never going to quit until the buzzer goes off at the end. I'd like to see a lot more of Anthony Robinson develop. If you had to diagnose an issue right now, or the plethora of them, what's going on? I think this is kind of a a talent issue. I mean, I I think that in hindsight, picking up role players from other D1 schools, like it's the island of misfit toys, and expecting them to just find a new role on a team with only four returnees who've played major minutes is, is kind of insane. But... Like, let's dig in and let's just look at who transferred in and was supposed to make up the core of this team. You have Tamar Bates, who is awesome. In his past six outings, he's averaged 17, 3, and 1 on nearly 60% shooting from the floor. So that's a W right there. But after that, it starts to get a little bit scary. John Tanji, injured, out for the season. Caleb Grill, injured, shot 36% from the field when he was playing, played Pretty decent kind of scrappy defense, but other than that, kind of a net negative there. Connor Vanover went from a potential starter to a bench defensive big who on offense looks lost a lot of the time. I mean, the dude is almost as tall as Victor Wembanyama, and... He kind of looks like a lumberjack that can't find the tree he's supposed to cut down. That Beautiful. Beautiful analogy right there. Um, Kurt Lewis, he's turned it on occasionally, but oftentimes he just kind of looks like a shot chucker. And Carolero... He's fouled out twice in the past two games, but he started to get right, though, offensively. So, hey, maybe we finally found the mystery fourth option in this offense. I just don't understand how Mizzou is expected to win when these were your high-level acquisitions. These were the guys who we were all excited about and saying these are the guys going to play major minutes. I mean, part of this is on Gates, but when almost every single transfer is a flop or is injured, yeah, what are you supposed to do? I don't blame this on Gates. Their culture still seems adaptable 
gotta look, give it to Jackson Francois has really replaced Ben Sternberg as the bench warmer <laughs> cheerleader. He's in all their hype videos. Good for him. He's keeping morale up. Yeah, he's he's the, he's like he's the AOC of uh, he's the Aiden <laughs> O'Connor of of the Mizzou basketball team. He is their morale, morale coordinator. coordinator. Uh, Tanji Grill, Vanover, Luce. Like, I think they're all good people. They're trying. This is kind of what this season was maybe meant to be. Yeah. Aside, aside from the injuries, I feel bad that a lot of them are injured. Grill still has a cast on, so and they've already surpassed the four-week estimate. Doesn't look like he's coming back anytime soon. We said at the beginning of the season and our preview, this was going to be a puzzle that we weren't sure if the pieces would fit together. Yeah. And they're just not fitting together. I. That's I, okay. They're I, hanging on and making the game still fun to attend. Yeah. That's the best you can hope for in a transition year. When a lot of these guys are graduating, we're going to have to start over with the roster anyway next season. I compare it to trying to build a Lego set out of uh, pieces from a Star Wars one, an Indiana Jones one, and one from like a, I don't know, like a Game of Thrones Lego set. It's just it's not, not going to work. It's just, it works better in their own systems, but now that you've brought it all together, it's just kind of a kind of a mismatch. So they uh, they play... Florida tomorrow at 7 p.m. Florida 1 and 3 in SEC play with their best loss arguably coming versus Kentucky 85 to 87. Abigail, who should we watch out for in that game? Uh, Florida's got some really good shooting guards, Walter Clayton Jr. and Zion Pullen. I think this is a game Missouri could win, but probably won't. Also, though, my last shout, Jesus. If he stays out of foul trouble, he's going to look a lot better. He's finally stepping into passes and really going out and grabbing the ball. He looks a little bit more grounded on the court. At first, he looked a little bit lost. I think he's finding himself. He's got to stay out of foul trouble, but I could see him still have a development arc in the second half of the season. All is not lost for this Missouri basketball team. All right, all right. Well, that's going to lead us into our final section. The Oh, this is great. The um, task I gave myself was to create a full... We didn't start the fire parody in order to recap everything that happened during this time when we were off the air. And I wanted to perform it, but, uh, you know, we just couldn't get the recording studio and uh, the, the J School to to kind of fit with our schedule. But, hey, all is not lost. We kind of wanted to to kind of comb through this and just, you know, recap winter break in a fun way. Maybe you should still do a poetry reading of these. These lyrics are great. Books. Oh, yeah. Here we go. This is a interpretive... Spoken interpretive word. spoken word poetry we didn't start the fire mizzou football cotton bowl Elia drinkwitz on a transfer roll blake baker no soul <laughs> santa gave me lots of coal connor bedard broken jaw michigan wins it all zero emmys sad for better call Saul. pga jesse hall zach eddie purdue angel reese lsu houston kansas wait they lost to who <laughs> R.J. Barrett, big trade. Dalton Kincaid, blizzard, real cold. Bills game got delayed. We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. Glenn Powell, Jalen Hurts, Sydney Sweeney, rom-com, Golden Globes, Joe Coy, man that was a bomb. Dennis Gates, room to grow. Naked guy in a Bass Pro. Election here, who you got? Donald Trump or Joe? Iowa caucus happened. Shout out, Iowa. Um, Aaron Rodgers, Epstein. Celtics got a winning team. John Morant, Draymond Green return to their teams. Josh Dobbs, big bad Vikings, big sad. KOC, something else. David Campbell is my dad. We didn't start the fire. <laughs> it was always burning since the world's <laughs> been turning. Joe Flacco, CJ Stroud. Father time, not proud. Jordan Love gets a dub. Salt burn bathtub. 
Jared Goff gets revenge. The Bear TV binge. Mahomes, what a sight. Peter Griffin, Fortnite. This is where the guitar thing would happen. Percy Jackson, Greek Freak, Pistons, L Streak, Kalen D Board, Caleb Williams, DJ Moore, coming in 2024, obviously. Zach Efron, Iron Claw, I Like Coleslaw, Mean Girls, Gypsy Rose. <laughs> Man, I hope it really snows. We didn't start the fire. Um, we got a little last verse here. I won't read through it all because we're kind of running out of time. But I will say, Gymnastics, AP Rank, Mark Cuban, Shark Tank, Falcons, Belichick, Wonder What's Next, Nikki Say, Got Away, NCAA Say Yay. So that is my We Didn't Start the Fire. Again, I wish I could have pre prepared it with the instrumentation, but finding a recording studio at the University of Missouri is apparently pretty hard. There is one in KCOU. But, uh, that was fabulous. Thank you. Thank I'm you. so impressed. So what was your what was your favorite what was your favorite thing that happened over winter break in the sports pop culture world? Wow, there's a lot going on. I loved the Cotton Bowl victory. Got yep. to watch that with my family. Uh, did you see anybody but you the rom com? I'm actually go see going to friends. see it tonight with Ruthie. I saw it with some friends of my sister. Shout was it good? Leah. Yeah, it was great. Oh, good. Uh, my sister Leah. Best news out of the whole winter break sports world. She's going to be a student athlete, Division One University of Northern Iowa. She's going to be a Panther. What? Oh, okay. So that was really, really exciting. Man, I, I would have, I would have thrown that into the thing. You, <laughs> oh man, I wish I would have known. Well, we we just found out recently, so we're gonna start wearing purple and gold. And you know what? They're not as big of an opponent as the Hawkeyes and Cyclones, so it all works out. I get to cheer for them and keep my Cyclone Alliance. They raced out in Columbia, so I might get to watch her. Well, if I ever decide to do an updated version of this, I'll say Leah goes D one Chiefs Super Bowl run. This so. is awesome, Blaze. <laughs> I'm. This was great. Yeah, so uh, I don't know. Maybe one day we'll record it. I don't know. I'll post it on Instagram, something. I don't know. We'll, you know, but. You're a poet and you know it. I, you know, some say, hey, but I'm not a rapper. I'm not a rapper. I just do this in my free time, huh? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, it, I don't know. Anything else you want to, any other good news you want to share with us before we hop off here? Or? Go Pack Go. Eh, we'll, we'll see about that. Go Chiefs. Whoa. Okay. Anyway. Thank you guys so much for listening. This was, of course, the season four premiere of Mixed Doubles. Um, go check out our Instagram. Uh, my buddy Ray edited an absolutely incredible promo for us based off of uh, Drake and Josh, if you're familiar with that. Pretty funny, so check it out there. It's at Mixed Doubles underscore KCOU. And, of course, we're always going to be here Friday at 1. We're never going to leave you guys out in the cold ever, ever, ever. So make sure you uh, make sure you keep it tuned here or check out, uh, you know, all of our streaming platforms. But anyway, this was the first episode of season four of Mixed Doubles. Very exciting. And this is Right Time by Current Affairs. Never heard this song, but hey, they got a pretty snazzy uh, album cover. 